welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Today, I'm with Jake Knapp, creator of the Design Sprint, author of Make Time, and author of the New York Times bestseller, Sprint, How to Solve Big Problems and Test New Ideas in Just Five Days. Jake also happens to be one of the world's tallest designers. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hey, man. Thank you for having me on. I am eager to have the chance to chat with you because you are my buddy, and we have been hanging around a lot together. And then there's this this pandemic came along, kind of kind of scrambled things for us. So uh, it's it's good to get to chat. Yeah, no doubt. I'm really looking forward to it. And speaking of the pandemic, you know, we were just talking about how should we assume people have heard of it, or should we tell them what it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's kind of kind of gotten around at this they point. They probably yeah. know. Yeah, they probably right. know. <laughs> you were just telling me about how it was this. You even used the word opportunity to spend some more time with the family. And and I immediately thought about how, you know, the interruption free iPhone and even, you know, elements of the sprint and certainly make time were highly influenced by this desire to spend more time with the family. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on how this has created opportunity and what folks can learn from it. Yeah. I mean, we have no choice about being in a pandemic right now or not. We also find ourselves at the same time now confronted by this new awareness. I mean, I would say like people have been aware of racism for a long time, but I think we all have had our awareness radically heightened, our eyes opened in these last few weeks and 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 in the months of the pandemic. There are things going on that are hard and painful and they cannot help but take a toll on you emotionally and they create stress and they hardship, but here we are. And we can't also ignore the fact that these things represent great opportunities for us. And the pandemic represents opportunities now, and it'll represent opportunities over time. And we'll look back and see it as a big changing point, just as we'll see these murders as also an opportunity and a changing point. And the fact that the two things are overlaid on top of each other represents a changing point where when you have pain, you have learning and you have the opportunity for, for change and for dynamic things to happen. And so just to talk about the pandemic, you know, and be less philosophical and more specific, I mean, the kids are home from school, school's canceled. So they're home from school doing school, you know, for video or whatever. And that's tough if you're a parent and you have kids at home and everybody knows how tough that is if you plan on doing your work at home or whatever, like new ball game. Uh, but it also represents an opportunity. And I know that I will look back because my kids are old enough to know I, that I know the old saying, the days are long, but the years are short. It's very, very true. And so I know I'll look back and say, God, it was really kind of special. Like we were all sort of in it together. It was like a little house on the prairie. We're all kind of on the same team and it's just us and we can't, you know, socialize with anybody and we can't see anybody outside of the house and hang out. So we can't go anywhere really. So, you know, we're just figuring out how to be together and, and that's good. That's actually kind of sweet. And if I don't put my arms around that and embrace it, then it'll happen anyway, but I might not appreciate the the good parts of it. 
So to the degree that I look at my work and I think about how much control I have over the things I can do right now, I know that there's a huge hit that any any work or projects I had underway will take. Think a lot of the things that you and I do are normally in person and we're both struggling, I'm sure, with figuring out how do you deliver these things online and how do you make them work well online? And and then there are writing projects and things that take focused work that are very difficult to do when kids are home and when you're sort of troubleshooting things all, all day. But I try to minimize the frustration I feel of the gap between the um, the non-pandemic version of events, which I can't access that that timeline of the multiverse, and just sort of say like, in this one, hey, I'll let go of that stuff that's not going well and and notice what's cool about what is happening and maybe try to look for the opportunities to grow out of it. As you were just kind of relating that story, it reflected back on another point that you raised in the kind of pre-chat we had. And it was around the writing that you're doing. And you're currently in the six, six week time away that's allowing you to kind of forget a little bit and come back and see it with fresh eyes. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just dawned on me that this opportunity we're in right now is allowing us to forget a few things about what it was like to be together. And so when we come back together, we're going to see it with fresh eyes. And I think that's potential I hadn't really thought about and not at least at that level that it's it's a little it seems a little more profound now as i'm thinking about it through that lens i think it is powerful and i'm sure it's been discussed at great length how this will affect the way we work in offices an obvious thing for people who work in offices and are now working over video is like well, hey, how much do we need to be in person? What are the things we really are missing that are hard to do when we're not together in person? And what are the things that actually maybe we could we could reinvent or improve? And I think it's going to be super interesting to see what that looks like. You and I have unconventional jobs that we've created for ourselves and we do our work is has not required office work, you know, unless it was in the form that we're doing this event, we're doing this workshop, we're doing this design sprint, whatever. But I feel like for a lot of companies, like the, some of the things that you and I are trying to help folks with is to see the default settings that are going on in the way they work and then say, Hey, they didn't have to be that way. If we change it and redesign it, it could be a whole lot better. These default settings of the way offices work are messed up. And I don't think that the pandemic is going to, magically fix all of those, but it does give us the opportunity to come back and see it with fresh eyes and say, I know I hope that that some of those things at least will improve. And the same goes for the way we treat each other with respect and and the the way we we try to see past our biases about the people that we work with and whether we're aware of those biases or not, or whether they're on the surface or not. I hope that the awareness that comes out of the pain that's going on in this country and even around the world right now can come into our, our work life when we come back. We have this chance to like really, it's like that that old joke about you, well, you got to turn it off and turn it on again. Like that's the way you fix everything. And maybe that's the way we're going to fix some of the things about our society. You know, I use this, this moment that we're in to have some time with my team in a way that was, I think, genuine and authentic. And, and I think in the past, you know, I've been a little bit afraid to do some of those things because we've been taught, at least I've been conditioned my entire career that there's professional stuff and there's personal stuff and you kind of, you don't kind of mix those things and you kind of compartmentalize and you kind of keep politics out of work and whatnot. And, and once I did that with the team, 
there was this level of transparency and honesty that just was, I mean, it was almost like an outer body experience. The levity was in, insane. And I've started to reflect on that more and it's impacted decisions I've been making about the company and about some of the things we do publicly. And I've had some people request to unsubscribe from the newsletter and, and it actually felt nice. And I was talking <laughs> yeah. and I was talking with someone about this recently and they pointed out to me, for whatever reason, this notion of professionalism took on this um, air of like sort of inhumane. Like we weren't allowed to bring our human selves to work because we had to have these filters and things. And I was always impressed with you when, when we were talking about just the values that you had when we were selecting venues or like companies we might partner with um, and really shown through in, in those decisions. And I was, you know, and I, it always made me happy to work with you when those moments arise. And, and so just saying, I'm kind of feeling some similar kind of vibes, you know, as, as, um, as this negativity is yeah, around us yeah. and, and I can, I'm just feeling empowered to take a stand and it's changing the dynamics of the workplace for me. Right on, you know, I think, and thank you for the kind words. I, I feel like in this moment, we all can't help but feel like we haven't done enough. If we were aware of the things that we could do, just for myself, if I was, of all the times I was aware of something I could do, but to be specific, like when I spoke at that event, could I have pushed the organizers to have more people of color in their speaker lineup did I do that enough? Did I, did I try hard enough? Was I careful about that? Did I work hard enough to include different perspectives in, you know, in seeking out stories for the book and looking for examples to say like, hey, here's somebody doing good work. We can all feel, I certainly feel like a lot of guilt and shame about not having done it well enough. But the, the flip side, the opportunity that's there is that you say, okay, well, that past is the past, but now it feels like one of the barriers to to being a good a good ally to being a person who's who's open and honest about their concerns and talks about it. one of the big barriers has always been a feeling uh, shame or embarrassment and talking about it feeling like it wasn't it wasn't your place to you know maybe it wasn't my place to to say that nobody asked me to be a representative of anybody whatever like and and now it feels like that that's that dialogue has changed and so I can judge past Jake as much as I want, but like the reality is no, it doesn't matter. Like the future Jake has a, has a whole new opportunity to do better. And as much as in this moment, we might feel bad about things that we could have done more of in the past. What's cool is that there are opportunities to do things and doing the right thing when it's hard, almost always feels good in some way. Like it usually is a good feeling and evokes good feelings. I think all around, that's why, I mean, I see this as much pain as we're in right now. I see this as an opportunity for really good things in the future and a way, a way for all of us to be able to act in ways that's, that's more, hopefully more in accordance with what we believe all along, but what's been hard to do. I think it might become easier to act now. Absolutely. I'm, I'm feeling the, the, the change and I'm hopeful that it, it has lasting impact. I'm kind of bracing for the long haul and how we can, what are the things that we can do to to really to have a continued impact. And so I'm curious if anything's top of mind for facilitators, people that are thinking about tweaking their defaults and, and the ways that they meet and the ways that they guide others. Anything that's been top of mind for you? Yeah, 
well, two things. I mean, and there are two threads here and they overlap. Right? One of them is pandemic and the other one is racism. And the pandemic thread started sooner and I've had more time to think about it, I guess. Although I should have been thinking about racism for, you know, 42 years because that's how old I am. But the pandemic thread, you know, we've been talking about things over video and that's going to, that's going to be around now forever. Like we will still do things in person. And I hope that a lot of my work will be in person because I love seeing people in person, but the reality of the future will be things over video and we have to adapt to how we handle the conversations uh, over video. And it's different. I found with a lot of conversations, I'm preferring to do it over the phone because I get so tired over video right now. You and I are talking, we have a good connection. I mean, you and I, for one thing, we know each other. So we have that kind of connection. We also literally have like a high quality video connection. So that, that helps. There's not like the audio is coming in clear and all that stuff, but that's like a small percentage of the conversations I have over video and all the stuff, all the trying to read the other person's expression and build rapport with them if I don't have it already. And my brain trying to fill in the gaps between the garbled audio, it wears me out. And it makes the subtleties, all the oh, tough things you're trying to do when you're reading a room and facilitating that much more difficult. So I think there's this whole new tool set that we'll all need to do things over video and I'm new to the party there, but a lot of people have been thinking about this. And when John Zaratsky and I worked on the sort of remote sprint guide and asked folks about how they were doing it, and we got, we got some good tips there, but I haven't, I definitely haven't learned it all, haven't internalized it all yet. And then there's this, yeah, there's this other track about like, okay, like we can, we can easily name now. And I think comfortably name, you look at the, the difference in public opinion about racism in America, we can pretty confidently publicly name the fact that black folks, folks of color, they're not getting, they're not getting treated as they should be. There's definitely things going on. And when we're in the workplace, things that we can do to make sure that we're whatever degree possible, not letting the same voices dominate the room that, that always dominate the room. And when we structure what's going on, that becomes possible. And that's always been a part of the design sprint. And, and I know that's always been a part of the work that, that you do to, to be respectful of everybody on the team and to look at how we can hear from everybody on the team. And, you know, some of that stuff, it doesn't really, they've worked in the past, maybe without thinking as as much about race. But one thing that's top of mind for me is to read, do some of the recommended reading on racism and basically to drop the assumption that, that I get it already that like, I know the problem and like, I'm, I'm, I'm already a good guy and say like, let's assume I'm not a good guy. Let's assume I don't know the problem. Let's reboot and try to figure out how to make it better. And through building a, you know, a system and looking at like, what's a, what are ways in a design sprint where I can apply whatever I'll learn on that path? I think there's probably, there probably are good opportunities there. It's my small, that's, you know, that's one small little part of the world, but it's maybe part of the world where, where we can, we can make it, make things different. Absolutely. Also, you talked about it being just for me to paraphrase safe to talk about. And I think once you talk about it and it becomes a conversation even if we are perpetrating microaggressions or whatever it is that we don't realize, I think others and others can see it and we can, we can kind of all support each other and kind of point it out. And that's my hope because defeating inherent biases, you know, that's trying to un unravel some deep psychology, right? Right. And like, I'm not going to be the one, honestly, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to figure that out. Right. You know, like I, I'll, I'll need, I'll need people to help me figure it out. 
for for the for the work I'm doing, and and I'm sure that's true of everyone. Like we're going to need we're going to need to do our best to get educated, and then we're going to need to do our best to have open conversations with people that are tough conversations to have, and say like, hey, help me figure out how to make this better. I think that part of the stress of this moment is knowing that that work is coming and thinking about how it needs to happen, but also knowing like that can't be done in a day, in a week. And a lot of the people's, the experiences and the events, the things that need to happen, something needs to happen over time. But we have a new future ahead of us now that we didn't have. And I think it's interesting how the pandemic actually becomes an asset to this change and this movement. The pandemic created so much background tension and stress and such revealed such fissures in the systems that we've come to stop looking at and just take them for granted that that we can all see now we can all see the problems and I, most of the insights and learning moments in my life have come from really painful things and you know just in the world of work it's like wasted time disappointments things like that and then and then you look back and you think that sucked but something good came of it and i think that's kind of what's going on here there's this scene in one of the narnia books i think it's uh Voyage of the Dawn Treader, but I'm not sure. And I don't know if did you did you read the Narnia books as a kid? I did, but man, you're you're uh, you're showing me up with the, remembering the the all the titles because that that kind of evaporated a while ago. I've read them to my kids, but there's a there's a scene where the there's this character named Eustace, and he's he's kind of a jerk. There's a scene where he he gets like turned into a dragon, and he kind of like. He ends up not liking being the dragon. He's kind of stuck in this, on this island or something. I can't remember exactly, but I know there's a part where this this lion, and that, there's some Christian imagery in here, but that doesn't really matter. The thing that happens is the lion comes and like basically he te- the lion tears off the scales of the dragon, and it re- it hurts. And as he tears off the scales, it hurts and it hurts and it hurts. But finally, when the scales come off and he's free, he's himself again, but he's like, he came through the pain and he's like, he stops being a jerk, you know? And it's, and it's like a powerful image maybe for what's happening to our country. And, and hopefully I think it's happening to us as individuals. The scales are going to take a while to come off. It's going to be painful for a while, but in the end, I think we'll look back and say it was good. I should probably stop rambling. I don't know that I know what I'm talking about right now, but no, that's, that's beautiful. But those are things on my mind. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I had this question I had scribbled down. I'm always curious to hear what people are kind of stumbling into and what they new things they've discovered that are giving them a lot of hope or newfound focus. And as I was thinking about that question before we got on the on the call, for you, I was curious with all this time that you spent with your kids, what new stuff are you learning from them? I'm jealous of people who have kids because I feel like they bring a whole new lens into the world. Like for instance, they're I don't, I don't, I've never even opened TikTok or whatever it is. Right. And so what <laughs> kinds of things are they bringing to you that you're like, whoa, this is, I never would have seen this without, without them. And maybe Narnia, maybe it's Narnia. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I have a high school age, uh, a 16 year old son and a nine year old son. And, and for my 16 year old, I, I think honestly, like quarantine sucks. It's not fun to do high school over video. It's not fun to I remember for me, high school, like the fun parts being around people, being with your friends and like the school stuff's kind of an afterthought, but you take the people away and it's tough. My younger son is like, this is great. 
It's like, you know, like we're just <laughs> the way he's where he's at. And I don't think that's true for every kid who's in elementary school, but for him, he's like, yeah, just give me the time and space to do some creative projects. I'm going to come up with something. And for him, it's fun to see how you strip away the structures and there's like this kind of joy behind it. And then for my older son, and he's been doing a great job and like powering through it too. But yeah, he also reminds me how much I miss people. So they both kind of remind me of different different sides of of what's going on. And, and they both also, you know, it also is fun because when you spend a long time with kids doing their day-to-day life, it, it I, for me, it, it reconnects me with my own childhood and it, it brings me closer into Jake as a 16 year old or Jake as a nine year old. Cause I remember, and I see the contrast. They're not, they're not just like me, but they, uh, I get to live in their world enough. One of the things that happens when kids go to school is you stop, you stop seeing a lot of what happens to them. A lot of what happens to them is in this school world and it's impenetrable. But now the the veil is gone. We all know what's going on all the time. And, and so I get to, in a strange way, re-experience a, a ghost of, of youth. And it's, and it's good. And the book I'm working on is kind of about, in some ways, about childhood. And so it's, it's, that's been helpful for me too. And do you have a title yet? I have a working title. Gotcha. Which is the minus world. But we'll see. We'll see if the you have to be careful, I think, in writing anything and any ideas that anybody has. You got to be careful to not attach yourself to a piece of of the idea or the or even the idea itself. Right. Was that Stephen King said you had to kill your darlings? I don't know. It, maybe it's that's certainly that's certainly like a well a well-known saying, and I don't know where it comes from. And I think that's right. That that's, that's true. You can't get too attached. And so I, I have to be careful that the, there's, there's this idea behind the, the minus world and I'll give it away. Hopefully none of your listeners will write a book called the minus world to steal this (laughs) idea, but I won't give, I won't give away how it's connected to my book, but the minus world is what is like the, what is commonly called there's in super Mario brothers in Nintendo in the eighties, there's a, there's a glitch and on world one, two. So world one, one is like the first world, you know, you're, you're, you're playing and you're squishing like the Goombas or the walking sort of mushroom guys you're playing. And then you go down the, at the end of that level, you go down a, a pipe and you end up underground and that's world one, two. So almost at the end of that world, there's a spot where Mario, if you, if you jump in just the right spot, you would kind of slide through the bricks and end up in this, this sort of warp zone and if you went down the tunnel, you would end up in what looked like. So every world in Super Mario Brothers is like, it's like a number dash a number. And it's like, it goes one, 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 two, one, three, one, four. It goes all the way up to eight, four is like the last level. Anyway, when you go through, you kind of go through the wall, you get through this glitch. Then you end up in a world where it just says minus one. Like if there's no number, it just says minus one. And it's a, it's an underwater world and there's no end to it. Like you can just go as long as you want and you'll just run out of time and die. You can't get to the, to the end. And I don't know why I got kind of like, if you're writing and procrastinating, you go down these like rabbit holes on the internet. And I, I got, I was like, I remembered that thing. And I went down this rabbit hole reading about it. And it was some kind of a, a glitch. Like there's extra code and basically there's something that doesn't reset in the code when you get that glitch and go through the wall. It, it doesn't reset something. So you you end up in this kind of garbage code state. 
And it's just weird. I just find that idea interesting of like the minus world and you like slide into this weird world and then you're like stuck there. It kind of feels like that now <laughs> with the pandemic. Like we just like <laughs> got, like fell through the glitch and now we're stuck there. But anyway, that's kind of the working title, but I don't know if, I don't know if that'll stick. Wow. Cool. I remember, I remember things like that from playing Mario brothers as a, as a child or just Nintendo in general, that there are weird little things, sometimes intentionally programmed in, but I didn't remember it was called the minus world. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. I don't know that it's really like, that's sort of, or that it was minus one and that's kind of like those details. Yeah. What yeah. people call it. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not really even the minus world. Like it's just, that's just what people named it from looking at it. But yeah, there's like, there's also that spot on, I want to say it's like world four two where you, you could jump, Actually, it's in a couple places, but you could jump on one of the little turtle guys on the shell. And if you got it in the right spot, you would just keep getting like extra lives until you got so many that it went past 99 and it started being like little sprites and things for the numbers because it couldn't count past. Anyway, there's all kinds of like fun stuff like that. Things were now I think the glitches in games are like not so much fun, but those games are so simple that the glitches are like you could kind of see them and experience them. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about facilitation. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite questions is, if you could change one thing about most meetings, what would it be? And now we're in this world of virtual. So as you've been watching, I'm sure you've attended all sorts of virtual meetings from PTA meetings to watching your children take their classes online. What are you noticing as a as a thread that just really needs to needs attention? Because I think we're in this zone of it's similar to in the early two thousands. You'll remember e commerce first coming online, and it kind of feels like we're in that same zone where it's like the tech's yeah. there, but are we using it right? And is it quite polished enough? Well, the first thing I would do if I could change one thing about all meetings is I'd cancel. You know, almost all of them. <laughs> And that is actually the the behavior. That's the world that I live in is that I just don't. Yeah, they have PTA meetings, I guess, online. I'm just like, nope, I'm just not doing it. I'm not, I'm just not going to anything. And that's not, that's not cool. I know I'm just like kind of, and you can see me and people are just listening, but I'm like sitting here wearing my sweatshirt and like I shaved my head. I look like somebody who doesn't care to go to meetings right now, but it's true. But that was kind of like, actually, that's a big part. It's weird, but that's a big part of the design sprint is that I, I hate meetings. They're a massive waste of time. They're full of politics and just stress and context switches that take away from the high quality individual work that needs to happen. Meetings are awful. And yet, I think the right way to do it is to double down on meetings, that to cancel almost all of them and then double down on the ones you do have. So if wish one is cancel all meetings, wish two is like to facilitate the meetings that you that you bring back to replace them, have a plan and and a facilitator. And yeah, you're right. With the tools we have today, you have to cobble things together to do that well. You have to, you know, get another app to if if we're like right now, you and I are talking on Zoom because the other thing we were on like crashed. And so Zoom's killing it because it it's really robust on video and they do that well. There's no collaboration space here. That's great, right? Like, you know, we don't have like a and then there's there's like there's mural and Miro and tools of that nature that provide like a collaborative space. I'm not a hundred percent satisfied with those. I, I feel like those are have evolved out of design tools and which makes sense, but design tools aren't a mental framework that everyone has. And I, I'm not sure everyone should have to learn that 
that framework of like the infinite canvas and the like drawing tools thing, like could be the right one, but it feels like there's an opportunity for something really good like that. That's integrated right in with the video chat. And that's from working on Google meet in the old days. I always dreamed that that was just like a participant in the meeting was a whiteboard and we could just pull that up and we could all collaborate on it. And, you know, that seems obvious, seems like something that needs to happen. And it, it also feels like a, an agenda with recipes in it maybe is something that ought to be a participant in the conversation. And we ought to be able to bring that up, you know? And, and so I think that one, one future frontier of, of the technology assisted meeting is something that happens over video, but just could do us a better job with whiteboarding. Most, most meetings don't happen with a good whiteboard. I mean, it's amazing. You know, the, the difference between a meeting with a good whiteboard and like a meeting with no whiteboard or crappy whiteboard, it can be profound. If somebody just, knows how to use it and and uses it. It's huge how much how much better you can do. Likewise, a meeting with a good agenda and a clock and a, a time boxing, profoundly better than one without. And a lot of those things, you can imagine the tools that you and I use, it's not rocket science to imagine integrating those into a video call, but it's not there yet. You got to cobble any of that stuff together. I found in a workshop that I ran recently with John Zaratsky, we, I put like, an iPad on my desk and dialed that into zoom as well. And just put it on the, focused it on the time timer, you know, and I would just set the physical time timer on my desk just so we could see a timer as like one of the heads, you know, it was like head, 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 time timer. Cause that stuff should just be baked right in. And then I think there's this interesting, like X years down the road, AR and VR, the one thing that seems obviously promising to me about those, I'm sure there are cool things that'll happen that I can't fathom because I'm, not creative enough, but I, I do think that the potential for, for workspace and for not needing to travel as much and still have like an authentic real life in-person experience is, is profound. And you can kind of see an inkling of that when you, this is my first day with a, with like a outside camera plugged into my um, laptop instead of just using the webcam. And I think, do you have that as well, Douglas? Cause you have a really nice camera that appears there. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm running a Sony a6400. Oh, okay. Into a capture card. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm doing the same, although my camera's not as nice, but it's something going through a capture card and it's total mess to set that up. Right. I got like the, you probably got the same like tripod and then like this cable and you got to order all these different things cobbled together. There's like a dummy battery that goes, it's just a mess. But the difference between having this conversation where we're both the video quality is just like a big step better. It's amazing how much more personal the conversation feels. And I think that as VR, like there's a potential for more huge steps towards in-person. And then even I think better and beyond what you can do in person. And that's exciting. I think it's, I think it's cool to imagine what that'll be like. Man, I've been going very deep on this stuff as have you, we were just kind of talking about all the tech related to facilitation. Now it used to be having to get on planes and order supplies and all these kind of logistical things. And now it's, now it's all about the technology and dialing in your frame rate and you're like, are you, are you using OBS or external cameras and all these things? And the thing that has really blown my mind and opened me up to a whole new sea of opportunity is 3D audio. Oh, really? Let's say more about that. I got a demo from these guys that are doing some virtual reality and they're essentially make their money from building, you know, in architecture, they build scale models. Well, then now you do all this stuff through kind of virtual CAD. So you kind of 
sketch everything up in, in these three-dimensional experiences and and people can walk through it. And so for instance, one of their clients was some Silicon Valley startup executives were building a house that was uh, you know, in, insane and they had it fully rendered to every inch and you could walk through it with these 3D goggles on. And the thing that became very apparent to them is like, well, can we can we do 3D meetings? Can we do virtual reality meetings? And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, there's this problem with access to the, to the tech, to the hardware. And then that's solved with the first player shooter game interface, right? So you can experience these things through through that kind of software without having the goggles. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. But I'm still like, I don't know if this is killer enough, you know, like, is is the experience that much better that we want to ditch our the other things that we're doing? And the 3D audio was the thing that just like kind of blew my mind. And the, basically, it's as simple as this. When you're playing a game and there's another character in the game or there's something that's emitting sound, it's going to get louder the closer you get to it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now... Imagine if this is not just an object placed in the three-dimensional space, or in our case, it could just be two-dimensional. We're not necessarily needing to have full the 3D nature, the skeuomorphism, all that's kind of beside the point. But if the sound source is just an inanimate object placed in the space, that's cool. But imagine if that was another person placed in the space. So the closer you get to that person, the louder they get. That's interesting. Yeah, so if you're both in the same meeting... And I'm facilitating, and I say group, group number one's over here, group number two's over here. The software does not have to know about breakout rooms. I just created one by by how I facilitated the group, and they just have to be far enough away where they don't hear each other. <laughs> well, it's funny how the a lot of the difficulty, at least for me, and and what's fatiguing about a video meeting is the work that my brain is doing to fill in the gaps because our brains are tuned for in-person stuff. And there are all these things that we're trying to figure out, all trying to, you know, you and I just had a a tech problem where our audio and video got out of sync. And then when that happens, it's like you can no longer read the other person, you know, all the cues that you're expecting, everything kind of breaks down. And it's it's funny to, to think about things like, does the sound of their voice come from the place where I geographically expect them to be in the room? And I bet when it does, I bet when I have a sense, a spatial sense of where people are, that that makes my brain a bit happier and a bit more comfortable. And all of a sudden, I probably have more energy to deal with a meeting and more brain space available to think and not just try to patch together all of those gaps. Yeah, that's right. And they talk about Zoom fatigue. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not really Zoom fatigue as much as it is, is virtual meeting fatigue and how the software is not, I would say, optimized for what we need as far as like input and support through the day. I mean, here, this is something I've been talking a lot about since this all first started happening and just how we support the facilitation community and how we lean into this experience and, and how we design better better workshops now that we're dealing with this phenomenon. And just understanding that not only you as a facilitator, but everyone in, in your meeting is now kind of sitting in this one spot. So it's even worse than just sitting all day or half day. But now you're sitting in this frame of a camera. 
which like, you know, if you're sitting in a workshop in a office building, then you might lean over, you might get up and walk to the trash can. You might kind of crouch a little bit. You might, you might move around in ways that you never even considered. But now that you're sitting there in this Hollywood squares with the Brady Bunch, <laughs> right, right. you know, and you're seeing yourself, you, and, and just you're conscious of the fact, even, even if it's your subconscious kicked in, you move way less. I would say that you're still confined within this like little two foot area. And I think that has a toll on your energy as well. Totally does. And I, I have taken to, I can't remember if I said this when we were recording or just before we started, but it doesn't matter. I'll repeat myself. I've taken to doing as much as possible when I have a conversation with somebody. Now that's like this default is like, oh, we'll just, we'll have a video call because everybody's doing it now. And I'm like, no, 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 please. Can we do a phone call? Because I, I need to like move around. I need to not try to keep eye contact the whole time. You know, I need to be able to think. And, And actually it makes me wonder about the opportunities for, improving what happens. So right now, as you're saying, like we're, we're stuck in these little, we're not moving much. We're kind of locked in. We're not moving as much as we could, even if we were together in a conference room, but even a conference room is not ideal because even though we might be able to move around a little bit more, you know, have depth of field, not just staring at a screen right in front of our face, we're still kind of trapped and you still got to kind of think about like, am I giving people a good signal that I'm listening? Well, imagine that you were in some, great virtual meeting space and it's got 3d audio and it's got high res video and everything well imagine one person's giving their expert interview whatever their demo and everybody else doesn't need to be necessarily locked in watching the thing what if i can go on a run you know while somebody's giving a talk and i can listen to it like i'd listen to a podcast i might actually be a better listener if i was moving if i was taking a walk or outside you know and i just had my headphones in and maybe for that person's comfort there's a stock video of me paying attention you know just like you see people who have made their zoom background like them looking attentive a video of them looking attentive but what if you did that like on purpose everybody knew everybody was in on it we said look we're just going to kind of hack our brains you're going to be looking at an attentive audience the people are there listening they're just they're on walks they're around their house you know they're eating a snack with this audio off so that the the human body's needs the human brain needs for movement and food and all these things could actually happen and we could still give people the the apparent attention that they need to feel comfortable talking i think that's like you know a sort of futuristic, but I think it, there's a lot of potential for things to actually get better if they're mediated by technology. However, what we know from the past is that some things get better when mediated by technology and usually a lot of <laughs> things get worse. So I don't imagine that we're going to get to utopia, but it's probably possible. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I love the idea of being purposeful and designing in these moments I think where where people get it wrong, and you know, I'm not dogmatic about any of this, but I do feel that where people get it wrong is when they just look and they go, "Well, how am I going to do a design sprint online and just wholesale just push everything <laughs> into the virtual space?" Or it doesn't have to be a design sprint; it could be your your um, your mission, vision, values workshop, or whatever it is. Um, just taking it and like putting the agenda online. So we think a lot about, you know, asynchronous and synchronous time, like what's done in design sprint versus what's done outside of it. And you're taking that a step further, which is like kind of, it's not really asynchronous in the sense that like they're doing it outside of the meeting because they're still connected in, 
but we're giving them another thing to do with their body other than sit still in front of the camera. And that can be a design element that we're not considering enough. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think also a lot of conversations that happen in, in any kind of work where you're working with a team. I wonder if some of those conversations could be asynchronous, you know, could I sort of record my thoughts or record a conversation between two people and then you play it back. Hey, catch up on this. Here's the thing. I don't know. You know, there's always the challenge, like, will people actually listen to it? I think for whatever reason, and I think this is something deeply hardwired into the human brain, we want to know what's going on live. We want to know what's going on now. Unless you can tell me a really good story about it, I don't, it's very hard to watch the replay. And so I think that, uh, that there's the, there is the potential for, the live experience to be better. There's probably the potential to help with the creating the story of the thing. And we've tried to do that with things like when you're going to make a map on the wall, we're going to capture what's going on on sticky notes and put those things together. But yeah, our gut reaction on how to build a tool that helps meetings happen online. It's, you can see it because multiple people have come up with similar solutions. It's to recreate whiteboard space and sticky note space and things like that. But as we get more sophisticated, those tools might stop looking like their physical counterparts and take on a, a better form. Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, unfortunately, not here yet. Yeah. I mean, that was the reason that we were so hesitant about releasing a template because we felt like we were just still doing way too much experimentation. And we found that we, we've stumbled on some interesting stuff and maybe we'll be there soon. But I think there's still so much to be learned about how to do this stuff a little differently so that we can still get the same results. You know, the, our intent, our purpose is still the same. We just have to adjust it for the medium. Totally. So you've already started to, to think about some digital experiences. You, you just said you ran a workshop with John Zaratsky recently and you're working on some online tools and training. Curious to hear what your current experiments are looking like. They're pretty modest. I mean, I think they're not super sophisticated in terms of what you were just talking about and the way you're, you're thinking about it. Uh, and partly this is due to the fact that a lot of my attention and energy is going into writing and being in quarantine with my family. And that's that's all good. It does mean that I'm not, I'm not in that mode that I once was where I'm doing, you know, 30 design sprints a year. And, and, um, and the, the art of that is really improving radically as I'm able to, to look at all these experiments. So the kinds of things I'm trying to do are really just, how do we take something that is easy for us to imagine, or we've done it a bunch of times in person, for example, a one day, workshop in person, which you and I have done together many, many times, train people how to do a design sprint. Well, I know what that looks like, that boot camp looks like in person, but you can't just, as you said, you can't just take that same agenda and say like, okay, buckle up everybody. We're going to be together now for eight hours online on video. And I'm going to have you do those same activities. It doesn't work. People aren't sitting at tables. People aren't, you know, they're not able to work together as a team. They're not able to build the same rapport with each other. There's nobody has the stamina to listen. I mean, I think people, it's a probably already a punishment for them to listen to me talk for eight hours in person, but forget about it over video. I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy. So we, we have to rethink the structure. And then you, you know, you start to think like, well, okay, if you, 
Are you going to make it shorter? Are you going to make it two days? And if it's shorter, how do you get the essence of the things that are most important? And what activities do you get the most value from from practicing? And which activities should should be more of a cooking show? And and there's that question of synchronous activities and asynchronous activities. Which things should people be able to shut off their camera and just work on their own and move around, do what they need to do? So it's nice to work from sort of a known model that is effective in person, but it does feel like even for that very sort of modest, like let's take this thing that works in person and and put it online. There's a recipe for it in person. We're still really modifying the recipe. Yeah, that seems pretty much the the sentiment I get across the board. It's there's just a lot of experimentation and we're still in that zone of kind of just figuring this world out. And the one thing that's clear is it's here to stay. And whether it's bringing a team together that just can't come together due to constraints, whether it's a quarantine or just travels or schedules, sometimes it's budgetary because it's quite a bit cheaper to to skip the flights and hotels and stuff. So there's some advantages to it. I mean, one thing I'll say, I made the the teaching the boot camp thing sound very complicated. And I guess because it is because that's a more that's in a way more artificial than just get helping a team solve problems. Because when doing more of a normal working with a team over video, I have found pleasantly surprising how well it works and, and how a lot of the things, if you're facilitating, you know, I found I sort of adapted. Okay. Things are different. I need to, my role might be a little bit, a little bit different here. And, Oh, there's learning experience. I didn't do a good enough job of making sure you know, of watching everybody's face or calling for comments because I was overwhelmed with some of the other things that were new. But more or less, one of the things that shines through for me in in doing these sort of a collaborative works, a workshop or a design sprint with people is that people are smart and they're going to do their part and and solve their side of the problem. And if I just facilitate to my best effort, there's a lot of headroom to make it better over video, but like fundamentally, a lot of these things that have worked well in person, they do work well over video. They're just not optimized. And that's the frustration. It's like, I think this thing is really optimized in person. And now we have to go to an unoptimized version. And that just doesn't meet my standards, but it's healthy to have that experience. Yeah, no doubt. We're kind of all reinventing ourselves through all of this. Jake, I'm curious as a wrap here, what do you think you'd like to to share as a closing thoughts to the community? So just keep in mind that mostly facilitators listening in, hoping to up their game and kind of navigate the space of online virtual facilitation and even, even just what it means to lean in, lean out as a facilitator. I definitely have, I have thoughts on it. I don't have, I don't think I have like super helpful tips as a facilitator for tactical things you should do. And I hate not having those because I love being tactical and not high level. I'm just going to have to be high level, but I hope that it's, that it's um, useful to say this. I, I think number one, your effort, whatever skills you have already and whatever effort you will put in as a facilitator is going to translate to the new world of video and also the new world of uh, where we're more conscious of, of racism. I mean, I think you, your skills are, are going to, to serve you well in this future. And more so than that, you play an important role that we all are going to need going forward because what 
this year has taught us so far is that the system doesn't work and uh, we need we need better tools we need better methods and people who make it a, a part of their work who devote themselves to helping other people do their work better to helping other people break down the default settings and reimagine them redesign them in ways that are that are more effective that are more respectful that can eliminate or defuse politics and encourage alignment togetherness and meritocracy of ideas where we're not constantly negotiating watering things down where we're not constantly judging one another and I think that as facilitators, you have a huge opportunity in the future. We don't know what that future will look like, but I just want to uh, sort of applaud you for being in this realm and and hope to give you a breath of wind in your sails as you go forward because your work will really matter. So awesome, Jake. Appreciate it. How can they find you and and your books? Well, you can go to uh, jakenapp.com to learn a little more about me and you can find you can find my books, Sprint and Make Time, hopefully wherever fine books are sold. But you can certainly find more information about them on, on my website. Excellent. Jake, it's been a pleasure chatting as always. Yeah. Thanks, Douglas. Same here, man. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together, voltagecontrol.com.